What an important message for all of us, huh? Your life fast? Is it a fast pace? It's important for us to slow down before the Lord. Um, you're probably wondering why I have these rocks up here before us today. There was a professor one day when he started his class, he had a bottle of rocks just like this, and he wanted to give an illustration to the class, so he asked the class, he said, what you see of this bottle, would you say it's full? And of course, everybody looked at it and saw it full of rocks, and they said, well, yeah, of course it's full. And then the professor proceeded to grab a a bunch of pebbles, and he started to pour down and shake down these rocks, these pebbles in the jar. And as he, as I'm making a mess up here, that's okay. Shook them down. And then he asked the class, he says, well, is the, is the jar full now? And they said, well, yeah, well, maybe you can get some more in there because, uh, you know, you, you obviously we thought that it was full before. And so he proceeded to take the sand, and he started to pour some of the sand in this jar, and he shook the sand down. And as he filled the jar with sand and filled it with pebbles, he then asked, is it full? And of course, they said, well, we think you can get more in there. And he finally took some water, and he poured everything in there and filled it up to the rim. And so, he says, I want you to think about what the purpose of this illustration is. One of the kids in the class raised his hand. He said, well, the, the purpose of the illustration is that you can always cram something more into your life. He's like, well, that's not quite the, the illustration I want to give you. He says, it does represent your life, though, this jar. He said, it represents your life, and, and the rocks represent the priorities of your life. The, the things that are most important, it's your family, it's your faith, it's your health, it's the relationships that you build around you. And he says, you've got to determine what those priorities are first in your life. And then we have the pebbles, they represent important things in your life. It might be your job, it might be your school, and those things are poured into our life as well. But the sand and the water are the little things. They're the little things that will fill up our life, and before we know it, we're overflowing with all these little things. Maybe it's material possessions. It's, it's things that we put into our schedule. And he said this. He said, guys, if you look at this, and if you were to not put the big rocks in first and to put in the pebbles and the sand and the water first, he says, what would happen is the most important things of your life would not come into priority. They wouldn't, you would have any room for those things. You would stop going to church because you don't have room for church. Relationships are going to go to the, to the side because you don't have room for those relationships. And so what you need to do is you need to determine the priorities that are in your life. You need to make sure that you have a relationship with God. You have to make sure that you're spending time with your church family and with your actual family and building meaningful relationships in your life. If you don't, then everything else will get squeezed out of your life. I want us to think about our priorities in life today. As, first, as we go into 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, 
we're going to be looking at the priorities that Peter says should happen in our life. Now, last week, let's review. Evan Miller did an unbelievable job in just presenting the Word of God, and he pointed out from God's Word that there are three priorities that we have to have or three commands that we need to fulfill in our life. The command to set our full hope fully on God, that we would be holy in our conduct, and that uh, we would conduct our lives with fear while we're living as exiles in this world. And at the end of the message, he said, you know, these first three things deal with our vertical relationship with God, but the last charge that Peter gives us is dealing with our horizontal relationships one with another. And that challenges that we would love one another deeply from our hearts. And it's in the context of this idea of loving each other and loving God that Peter naturally goes into the next thing that he wants to encourage the believers. And he's going to talk about the priority of their relationships with each other, how they conduct themselves with each other, and their relationship with God. I want to pray this morning that God would help us at Mission View to be a people that have God's priority in our lives. Let's pray that God would do that. Lord, I pray, Father, that as we look at your word, that you would help us to understand what your word has to say to us. We pray that your priorities would become our priorities. Forgive us, Father, when we carry on in this life with our agenda without even checking with you. Lord, help us to hear your heart. Help us to slow down enough that we can hear what you have to say to us. I pray, Father, that you would help us to understand really what you want to be the, of the, the most important priorities in our life. And I pray that you would use your word to help us understand that. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll take a look at 1 through, 12, uh, 1 through 10. Now, I want you to know he's going to give five priorities. I've identified five priorities out of this passage that Peter is giving. But please know that these priorities will build upon one another. And the first priority is a negative priority, and it's, well, it's a positive thing where we get the negatives out of our life, and that is that we need to weed out the divisive sins that are in our life. Take a look at what he says. He says, so, as a result of the fact that we are to love God, as a result of that we are to love one another, so we need to put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Now, the phrase put away is an imperative command in the original language, which means that there needs to be a decisive decision, decisive action on our part in regards to getting rid of the divisive things that hinder us from loving our brother, loving our sister in Christ deeply as we should. Now, I think this list that Peter gives here, we would all say, if these things are true in the body, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, if those are true in the body, then that means that 
we're going to be hindered in our growth. But also know that these five things are also going to hinder us in the workplace as well if we participate in them. Now take a look at what they are. Malice means a wicked ill will. It means that I have in my heart towards somebody else a wicked ill will. I have gotten so angry at them because of what they have done. Maybe it's a brother or sister in the Lord. Maybe it's someone at work. And there is an anger. And you'll know that person is if that person's name is brought up, all of a sudden there is an, a burst of, of anger that comes over you. You probably have a problem with malice in your heart. The second thing is deceit. It literally means to catch with bait. It's deliberate dishonesty. This is pr pretending that you're okay, but you're really not, and you're not giving all the information to particular people because you don't care for them. So there is deceit. Then there's hypocrisy. This is pretend devotion before God and before men. Here's Here's what's true is that this person is covering up his true identity. Everything is an act with this individual. And we sometimes will do that with people. Yeah, yeah, oh, it's great, it's great. And we don't want to disclose ourselves to that person. Why? Because we have bitterness. We have malice in our heart towards them. Envy is a resentful discontent. In other words, I resent that individual maybe for what they have or what they do or how people see them. And finally, slander. The outpour of all of these things is that I am going to talk negatively when that person is not around. And I, am will, I will willfully participate in that. Now, I know every one of us have been guilty of these sins. I have been guilty. We've all been guilty. And what Peter is saying, they have to get rid, we have to get rid of these things. Now, consider, though, why Peter is commanding that these sins be weeded out. Isn't this the church? Isn't this the context where people are to love one another? That we're to go out of our way for one another? That we're to pray for one another, support one another, help one another, care for one another? Isn't this the place where it's the body of Christ where we celebrate Jesus on a regular basis? See, in a perfect utopia, maybe we would never have any of those things. But while we are here on planet Earth, and as long as we have flesh, these fleshly bodies, we're going to struggle with these things. Let me ask you, is there anybody here that at times is selfish? Just raise your hand. Okay, thank you. Every one of us. And if we're selfish, we can, we can find ourselves gravitating to these things. Here's another dynamic that we struggle with. We work 40 to 60 hours a week in an environment that's going to be nothing but this. They don't know any other nature unless they have been redeemed. But in a lost world, there's going to be nothing but all of these things. We're kidding ourselves if we think our work environment is going to be perfect. It's going to be without any of these things. They're always, always going to exist. And so what happens sometimes is when we work in that environment, sometimes we get caught up in it, and even the residue of those sins come on us, and, and we even carry that into the church. See, this is what we have to work at, is being unified and battling against these things. Jesus knew we would need to work at it. Just before he went to the cross in John 17, guess what he prayed? He prayed, Lord, God, help them to be one 
Help them to be one. Help them to be one. Help them to be one so that the world would know. Do you realize that there is a witness that we have when the body of Christ comes together? This is why we pray for other churches, because we're not against other churches. We're for the building of the kingdom. We're for building a oneness, and this is what God wants us to do. But sometimes we don't operate that way within the church, and we allow a divisive, critical spirit to go on within our hearts. Let's be practical here. There are several ways that I believe that God gives us in the Scriptures and other places to be one and to, have uni to be unified. Let me give those to you because I think they're really important. Number one, we have two choices when it's coming to dealing with conflicts between brother and sister in Christ. We have two choices. We either let love cover it or we go. First Peter says, love covers a multitude of sins. So we either let love cover it or we go to that person. Number two is that we realize it's always my turn to go. If I've done the offending or I've been the offender. Sometimes we sit at home and we're stewing over like somebody did me wrong and I've got this attitude brewing up inside of my heart and I'm just waiting for them to come to me because they need to come and apologize right now. God doesn't operate that way. That person that you're thinking about, they're, they're, they're at home. They're watching their favorite TV show. They're not giving you a single thought because they may not even know they've offended you. It's always my turn to go. And when we finally do go, and I know we hesitate, we drag our feet because we hate confrontation. Some of us love it, but some of us hate it. We have to communicate everything in love. Ephesians 4 says that we are to speak the truth in love. Now, this is why this is important that we speak the truth in love. We know that in our hearts that we can carry an attitude into a meeting. We can walk up to somebody and we're communicating in our body language. We are letting them know we are not happy with you at all. We are communicating it on our face. We are communicating it in our gestures. And we're like with our attitude saying, bye, Felicia. Okay, you are not to mess with me. Now, for you that don't know what that means, I don't either. So uh, I was just told that it's a new attitude symbol today. Now, what we're to do is we are to communicate in love. We're to go to that person, and we're to do that. See, Peter full well knew that this divisiveness could exist in the body of Christ. He had participated in himself. Remember, he's the one that denied Christ three times. And so what Peter is doing is Peter is calling the church to raise the bar, to raise the standard for us to live at a different place than the world, and that we need to get rid of the device of sins. That's the first priority. Here's our question. Are we truly committed to biblical unity? Then we will do these things. We will be ruthlessly committed to it. Here's the second priority. Take a look at verses 2 and 3. The second priority is to crave spiritual milk. He says, like newborn infants long for the pure milk pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up in your salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now notice, once the impurities are taken out, what Peter wants is pure food to come into your life. 
If you were to go onto a diet, you said, okay, I'm a little overweight and I need to exercise and I need to change my lifestyle, the nutritionist would go through your house and say, get rid of the chips, get rid of the 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 the, the the peanut butter or the car bad carbs or the or the 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 ice cream he would say get rid of it all and what i want you to do is i want you to put veggies in your fridge i want you to put healthy stuff this in essence is what peter is saying we're getting rid of the the stuff that hurts us and we're taking in the pure spiritual milk and he says here long for it the word long for means to have an intense, an intense yearning for. Like a baby's intense yearning for its mother's milk, this is what a believer is to do with God's milk. And God's milk here is his word. And so this is how we grow up in regards to our salvation. In other words, our walk with God. This is how we progress. But notice in verse 3, there's a condition. The word if is there. If it is a fact that if we do this, if our spiritual palate takes in the milk of God's word, then we're going to find out that God is good. We're going to understand that God is good. And actually a better word here is excellent. We're going to find out that God is absolutely excellent. You know what God's doing here? Peter's helping the believer understand is the growth process. It starts when we're an infant. And when we're an infant, we long for God's word and we should want to take it in. But we're also spoon fed. When you come to the service, you are dependent upon the word being given to you. This is one of the reasons why we have this. This is the reason why we break into community groups so that you can grow in your salvation. But please understand, you're not going to stay there. You're going to grow into a toddler where you'll start taking in solid food. You'll be able to feed yourself. Eventually, you come to maturity, adulthood, where you are able to train yourself. And so for you that are growing in maturity, when you come here on Sunday morning, this is just a cherry on top of the Sunday. You've been listening to the Holy Spirit throughout the week because you know how to feed yourself. You're looking into what God's Word is, and you come here to worship. You come here to be encouraged by God's Word. Some of you, when you grow to maturity, you'll stop being just the, the participant in a community group. You might grow in your leadership and want to lead a group. Because this is the reproduction that Jesus has planned out for us. Remember, he said, go and what? Make disciples. See, this is the maturity process of making a disciple that he wants us to do. But there's a few things that I think can hinder this as well. Number one, we never move off of spiritual milk. Do you know that there are individuals that will perpetually stay at infants in an infant stage? Because they don't train themselves. They don't take the word of God and they don't start to understand it for themselves and start to read it for themselves. And this is what we're told in Hebrews chapter 5. It says, in fact, though by now, by this time, you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. See, here it's a criticism because they did not move in their development. Here's the other thing that we can do. Another hindrance is that we fill our life with everything but God's word. You know, we are masters of filling our time and our schedule with a lot of activities. 
Sometimes they're actually good activities. It's getting together with another believer for coffee. It's a, maybe a church outreach or a church event. And those are all good things. Those are like the pebbles in the jar. Those are good things. But if we don't have the priority of discipline, of reading God's word for ourselves, then it's like we're speed dating with God and there's a lot of activity, but there's very little depth. And God doesn't want speed dating. He wants depth in our relationship with him. So you see what's happening? Get rid of this stuff. Put, take the, on the pure spiritual milk. Here's the question. Are you craving spiritual food? Let's move on to the third priority. The third priority is that we would have an intimate association with God. Take a look at the word usage here. He says in verse 4, As you come to him, talking about Christ, a, li a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Now here's what Paul, Peter's going to do. He's going to give a parallel passage. He's going to talk about Christ. Then he's going to relate it to you and I. But first he says this about Christ. As you come to him, this indicates a personal habitual pattern. You've grown out of infancy, and now you're growing to a place of maturity where you've been with Christ, and it is a, it's on a regular basis. And the implication is that a partnership with God has started to develop. Now, Peter is showing this maturity cycle. He's gone from milk. He's gone to get, or get rid of these things, take on the milk, and now we're, we're part of, uh, of a partnership with God. And he says, we're going to come to Jesus, the living stone. Now, Peter loves this word living. In chapter 1, he says that we have a living hope. In chapter 1, he also says we have the living word of God. But now he says it's a living stone. What's he talking about? He's talking about the stone that has life and gives life. And so that we understand that he's talking about Christ, he says he was rejected by men, he was chosen by God, and precious to him. Then he says this in the next phrase. He says, you yourself, like living stones, are being built up to a, as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So he says, you are like him. You're like the living stone. And so here's the parallel. Just as Jesus was rejected by men, chosen by God, and precious to him, you too can be rejected by men. But know that you're chosen by God and you're precious to him. And then he gives them three ways in which this, is, this partnership is affecting them. He first of all says, you're part of something. He says, I am building a spiritual house. And you're a little stone that is a part of that spiritual house. So what was he talking about? He wasn't talking about a local church. He was talking about a much bigger, broader church called the Universal Church. The church that started at Pentecost and will continue until Christ returns. Do you realize that we are a part of a building process where God is building this universal church, a collection of believers of all nations, of all races, of all people, of all time, and that we are a part of it just at this moment in time? Then he goes on and says, not only are you a part of something, you are something. He says, you are a holy priest. You're a holy priest. 
Holy meaning set apart. You're a holy set apart priest. Now I want you to look at somebody around you and tell them that they're a priest. Go ahead, tell them they're a priest. Right now, you're a priest. Did you think of yourself as a priest? Did you know you are a priest? Oh, I don't wear a long robe. I don't wear a collar. No, that's not the kind of priest that we're talking about. The priest he's talking about is the one who had direct access before God. And so they had direct access before God, and he is relating that to you and I, that you and I have direct access before God, and that we can worship God without being hindered. And God sees us as holy because of the blood of Christ that covers us. But notice that not only are we a part of something, not only are you something, but you're doing something. He says in the passage, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See, just as the priest did work before the altar of God, we are to do work before Christ. Now, this is a vital message because it is the missing piece that so many believers are not participating in. Do you realize that God crafted you when he thought of you? He crafted you with a uniqueness, with a gift, with a special ability. And that ability wasn't just for you. It was for other people. And what he wants is for you to be fulfilled by serving. You know, I meet believers all the time that would say, I'm not fulfilled at all. I feel like there's something missing in my life. What's missing is that you're not operating according to how God has designed you. He has designed you so that you would serve him. So my question for you is, what step of faith, what step of faith does God want you to take? For some of you, the step of faith, God's been burdening your heart for maybe the homeless. Maybe you would give this week, Dwayne Wyckoff, who was here last week, a call and say, I'm really interested in helping out with the homeless. Some of you might call the church office or call me and say, Steve, I'd like to serve in the church in some way. I have no involvement. Or maybe you can encourage me, or you might be thinking how I could possibly work in your community. Maybe God's putting on your heart to have one neighbor over a month. Whatever it is, take the step of faith so that you are fulfilling what God has designed you to do. Now the fourth priority goes on to a sure foundation. A sure foundation. Look at what it says in verse 6. It says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame, so the the honor is for you who believes. Now the priority here is built on the bedrock of faith in Christ. And what Peter does is something interesting. He, re, he goes back to the Old Testament in Isaiah 28, and he quotes a prophecy that was given about the Messiah who would come and be the cornerstone of something special. Peter knew that the cornerstone uh, was to be the cornerstone of the church. Peter understood that. And so he is quoting Isaiah chapter 28. Now, if you went to that passage, you would also understand that this cornerstone would be the measuring line for justice and would be the plumb line for righteousness. What does that mean? It means that God would use this cornerstone, Jesus Christ, to measure our life. 
Now, these are modern-day tools that we use. If I want to do a construction project, I'm going to take my measuring tape, I'm going to measure something properly, and I'm going to make sure that it's right. That's righteousness. That's justice. That's just what it should be. That's what God wants to do in our life. He wants us to understand what is just and right. He wants us to be plumb. If you're building a wall, you want that wall to stand like that, not like that. So some of you would be like that. So he wants a straight-up standard. He wants it to be straight. He wants it to be plumb. The implication here is that Christ becomes that for us. He becomes the way we measure our life. He becomes the example by which we stand up against and we see how he is so that we become like Christ in our life. And that's what he desires for us to do by faith. And as a result of doing that, we have rock-solid relationships. We have rock-solid witness. We have a rock-solid presence in our life. That's what he wants. Do you see the progression here? Get rid of all these things. I want you to add in the word of God, the milk of the word. Crave it. I want you to become a partner, and I want you to be a Christ-like example in the world around. That's what's going to give you credibility as an individual. This is what I want of the body of Christ. This is what I desire. But then Peter does something where he gives a warning to those that are unbelievers. And he says this, and he quotes two other prophecies. He says, but for those who do not believe, the stone the builder rejected has become the cornerstone. He's quoting Psalm 118, verse 22, which shows that unbelief in Christ will cause people to stumble. Do you realize that when the world looks at Christianity and calls us idiots and calls us fools, all they're doing is stumbling over Christ. They don't understand Christ. They stumble over him. And then he goes on and says, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Here he's quoting Isaiah 8.14, which shows that unbelief in Christ has consequences. Has consequences. The idea of rock of offense gives the idea of judgment. In the, in the words of Christ himself, when he was talking to the Pharisees, he talked about this rock of judgment, and he made this comment to the religious leaders. He says, but on whom this rock falls, you will be crushed. There's an implication that we either fall upon the rock and be broken and fall and submit to him, or it will fall upon us in judgment. So here's the question. Are we building a foundation of our life on Christ? Sand, rock, what is the foundation of our life? Peter is encouraging the believers they need to continue on in faith, but he's also encouraging those that were listening that were unbelievers, think about where you're going in your life. It's a good admonition for us. Here's the final priority. The final priority is our proper identity. Take a look at verse 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy." 
See, the final priority here is understanding who we are in Christ. Do you realize a lot of people don't understand who they are? We think of ourselves as a loser. We think of ourselves as a failure. We think of ourselves as, because of our past mistakes, as condemned by God. And we beat ourselves up over those mistakes over and over and over again. Peter wants these people who have been through a lot for them to realize who they really are. Though they are being persecuted, though their loved ones are being killed, he wants them to realize, first of all, that they are a chosen race, meaning a collection of all nationalities that form the body of Christ. And you are considered by me, God your Father. You are a chosen race before me. You are not only a chosen race, but you are a royal priesthood. You have kingly duties to perform before the king while you are here on earth. Though you have persecution, realize you are doing the duty of the king. You are doing the bidding of the king. You are also a holy nation. You are a set-aside people. You are a redeemed people that will spend eternity with me. And you are a people of my own possession. Meaning, you belong to me. You belong to my family. I'm your father. Though your earthly father has abandoned you, though your earthly mother has, has treated you poorly, I will never treat you poorly. You have belonging. And so the very message that he has to this people is that we are belonging to something and that they didn't have to wonder anymore where they belong, he, that they belong to the family. True, at one time they didn't have a family, but now they did. True, at one time they were in darkness, but now they are in light. True, they did not know mercy, but now they do have mercy. See, what he's trying to do is help them understand who they are. And this is the apex of the priorities because they're getting rid of all the, the filth in their life, getting rid of the device of sins. They're taking on the pure milk of God's word. They're a part of something. They're in partnership with God. They are living on the rock of Christ and that's affecting their testimony. And now he wants them to know you are kingly. You are a child of the king. And while you are going through this life, you can make it because you are my precious possession and I will guide you no matter what you do or what happens to you in this life. The question is, is praise on our lips for all that God has done for us? So we stand back and we say, okay, how do we stand firm as Mission View Church? How do we stand out? How do we take that? I want to kind of go on Il, the illustration that Evan gave last week, he gave this rope illustration and said, basically, we, we're, this is our life compared to eternity, the rope that goes on for eternity. We are just a brief part of this life, just a brief part of this life. I want you to think about what your life is all about. The book of James says that our life is but a vapor. And if we were to take a look at the trajectory of our life, how will we end up on our current course of action? In the current, current way that we are living our life, where will our life end up? A couple weeks ago, I started thinking about this question after I saw a 60-minute episode where they did a documentary on a guy named Glenn Ford. 
Glenn Ford was convicted of a murder that he actually did not commit. He was proven innocent later, but before he was proven innocent, he spent 30 years on death row in Louisiana's notoriously known Angola prison. Hard time. In fact, at one point, he was one week away from his death sentence, but something happened that he didn't go to the electric chair. And we see that once, he, once the, the, the guy that actually did the murder confessed it, the Louisiana quickly released Glenn Ford. They gave him a $20 gift card for him to go get something to eat, and he received not a single penny in compensation due to a technicality in the law. And to add pain to his misery, soon after he got out of jail, he found out that he had stage 4 cancer and had only a short time to live. In fact, three weeks after the 60-minute documentary, he died, and he died homeless, penniless, and in a coffin that was purchased by the community. And as I watched this, I thought, Glenn had one life, only one life to live, and that was his life. How amazing that was. There were no do-overs. Now, I wish I could say that Glenn had a relationship with the Lord, but the documentary gave no indication of that. What we do know is that he died with anger and unforgiveness on his heart. And then it struck me. It struck me that Glenn spent his days, 30 years, in a 5 by 7 cell, trapped. And that was his life. And yet I look at people today and I see that people are trapped within their own life circumstances. I see people that are hopeless, that they feel trapped inside of a relationship. They feel trapped inside of a job. They feel trapped inside of some situation or even just within themselves where they have absolutely no hope and they have absolutely no purpose. And as a result, people are trying to find their significance by spending money and thinking that things are going to help them feel significant. People will start pouring themselves into a job to make a name for themselves because they feel trapped and they want to feel significant. Significant. And if I could just do that, or I could just have a family, or I just surround myself with all these things. Sometimes people will even go to church because they're in pursuit of feeling like they are significant before God. And so what we do is we come back to what God says are the greatest priorities that give significance in our life. And I want you to realize the priorities that we set in our life will affect the outcome of our life. They always will. We should not be surprised that if we do not set the proper priorities, that the outcome is poor. What God wants is to help the outcome of our life. When we weed out divisiveness, then the end of my life is peace. Think about that. When I weed out divisiveness, the end of my life is peace. When I live on spiritual food, then the end of my life is living and thinking like Christ. When I have an intimate association with God, I realize that I'm a priest before God and I live that out and I'm in partnership with God. And at the end of my life, there are people at my funeral that are saying, man, that guy made a difference in my life. When I have a sure foundation then my life ends with a solid ministry, solid relationships, and solid testimony. 
And when I understand my identity, then I end my life having given him glory throughout my life. And it's just natural transition that I start giving glory and praise to him throughout eternity. So here's my question. What's the outcome of your life? Some of us are on a wrong trajectory. If we're honest with ourselves, we are off course. And what God wants is for you to be on course. Some of us are on course. We just need encouragement. So right now, what I'd like to do is pray. I want to pray for those of you on, on course that God would continue to encourage your heart. But for us, for if we're on a tangent, that we would admit that in our hearts and say, God, help me to align with your priorities. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to this holy moment where we've heard your word, I pray, Father, that you would allow us to respond to your word so that we could be the kind of people you want us to be. Lord, some of us have gotten off course because we have thought, believed lies that the enemy have taught about us. He has gotten us to believe that we are no good. But Lord, help us to believe what you have to say. Some of us have been chasing after significance in all the wrong things. And we, haven't, we have the answer right before us in you. Lord, help us to have take on your priorities. And we pray that there would be a course correction in our life. But Lord, I pray also for the believer that is, is trudging through this life, is walking with you, and they just need that encouragement. And I pray that just being before your presence, just worshiping our holy God, declaring the, the praises and the most excellencies of you, that they, their hearts would be uplifted. They would, they would be encouraged for another week to trudge on and to live for you. Lord, see us where we're at. And I pray that you would minister to our hearts. I pray that in Christ's name.